Provisional Remedies Anong mga Provisional Remedies? May lima ka-Provisional Remedies Preliminary Attachment uh, Preliminary Injunction Receivership Replevin and Support Penitality The enumeration above is not exclusive The Court may invoke its equity jurisdiction and order the appropriate reliefs during the pendency of an action The Court in exercise of equity jurisdiction may validly order the deposit of 10 million down payment in court Nature, Purpose and Jurisdiction over Provisional Remedies As to nature, these are temporary, auxiliary, and ancillary remedies available to Alatigan for the protection and preservation of his rights while the main action is pending. They are writs and processes which are not uh, main actions and are dependent for the application and the existence of a principal action. As a consequence, where the main action is appealed, the attachment which may have been issued as an incident of that action is also considered appealed and also removed from the jurisdiction of the lower court. Orders granting or denying provisional remedies are merely interlocutory and cannot be subject of an appeal. They may, however, be challenged before a superior court through a petition for certiorari under Rule 65. Purpose To preserve or protect litigants' rights or interests during the pendency of the principal action. To secure the judgment. To preserve the status quo of the thing subject to the action or the relation between the parties. And to preserve the subject matter of the action. Jurisdiction The courts which grants or issues a provisional remedy is the courts which has jurisdiction over the main action. The reason is the ancillary and provisional remedy of preliminary injunction cannot exist except only as an incident of an independent action or proceeding. The authority to grant provisional remedies is not the sole prerogative of superior courts. Inferior courts may also grant all appropriate provisional remedies in an action pending with it and it within or its jurisdiction. Now, ano ang inatawag natin na preliminary attachment? Rule 57. Attachment is defined as a provisional remedy by which the property of an adverse party is taken into legal custody, either at the commencement of an action or at any time thereafter, as a security for the satisfaction of any judgment that can be recovered by the plaintiff or any proper party. The attachment is preliminary only when as resorted to before the finality of the judgment to secure the property of the adverse party and to prevent its uh, dissipation. Discretionary the grant of the remedy of preliminary attachment is addressed to judicial discretion. There is nothing in Rule 57 which indicates that the grant of such writ is a matter of right on the part of the applicant. State Construction Since preliminary attachments opens up the debtor to humiliation and annoyance, it may be only be granted when necessary and as a last resort of the concrete and specific grounds. As to purpose, to seize the property of the debtor in advance of final judgment and to hold it for purposes of satisfying said judgment. To acquire jurisdiction over the action by actual or constructive seizure of the property in those instances where personal or substituted service of summons on the defendant cannot be effected. Sino ang makabil sa preliminary attachment? It may be applied for by the plaintiff or at any proper or any proper party. Any proper party includes a defendant who filed a counterclaim, cross-claim, or a third-party complaint as long as the application of the writ is supported by the proper ground. When kasano ini may be applied? An order for preliminary attachment may be applied for 1. At the commencement of the action or 
If it is applied for at the commencement of action, the application may be incorporated in a verified complaint alleging all the grounds relied upon and complying with all the requisites for, uh, for the grant of application. Here, the application is made even before someone is served on the defendant or even before someone is issued by the court. An application at this stage will result in an ex parte issuance of the writ of preliminary attachment. Second, at any time before entry of judgment, it may be made after service of summons upon the defendant even after judgment but before entry or the before the judgment becomes final and executory. An application for the issuance of an order of assessment would entail notice to the defendant. Take note of this jurisprudence that it has been held that a writ of preliminary assessment is only a provisional remedy issued upon order of the court where an action is pending. It is an ancillary remedy. Attachment is only adjunct to the main suit. Therefore, it can have no independent existence apart from a suit on a claim of the plaintiff against the defendant. In other words, an attachment or garnishment is generally ancillary to and dependent on a principal proceeding, either at law or in equity, which has its purpose a determination of the justice of a creditor's demand. Any relief against such attachment could be disposed of only in that case. Hence, with the cessation of civil case number 8623 with the artist's decision having attained the status of finality, the attachment sought to be questioned by the petitioner has legally ceased to exist in U versus Miranda. Ano naman ang klase sa mga attachment? Mayara kita, preliminary attachment, kagarnishment, levy on execution to satisfy a final judgment. Una kita sa preliminary attachment. It is one issued at the commencement of action or at any time before entry of the judgment as security for the satisfaction of any judgment that may be recovered. Here, the court takes custody of the property of the party against whom the attachment is directed pending litigation. Garnishment. Ano naman ang garnishment? This is a kind of attachment in which the attaching party seeks to subject to his claim either the property of the adverse party in the hands of the person called the garnishy or the money which the said person owes the adverse party. Garnishment does not involve the actual session of property which remains in the hands of the garnishy. Garnishment simply impounds the property in the garnishy's possession and maintains the status quo until the main action is finally decided. Jurisdiction over the garnishy is acquired by mere service upon him by the copy of the writ of garnishment, no need of service of summons, and third, levy on execution to satisfy a final judgment. It is the process employed after the judgment has become executory, by which the property of the judgment obligor is set aside and taken into custody of the court before preliminary step, the sale of the property on execution for the satisfaction of a final judgment. Grounds for Attachment 1. Recovery of a specified amount of money or damages In an action for the recovery of a specified amount of money or damages, other than moral and exemplary on a cause of action arising from law, contract, quasi-contract, delic or quasi-delic against a party who is about to depart from the Philippines, will intend to defraud his creditor. It is not sufficient to show that the party against whom the writ is sought to be issued is about to depart from the country. It must be shown that such departure was with intent to defraud his creditors. Second, action for money or property embezzled. In an action for money or property embezzled or fraudulently misapplied or converted to his own use by a public officer or an officer of a corporation or an attorney, factor, broker, agent, or clerk in the course of his employment as such, or by any other person in a fiduciary capacity or for a willful violation of duty. 
Third, recovery of property unjustly or fraudulently taken. In action to recover the possession of property unjustly or prudently taken, retained or converted, when the property or any part thereof has been concealed, removed, or disposed of to prevent its being found or taken by the applicant or unauthorized person. Fourth, fraud in contracting or performing an obligation. In an action against a party who has been guilty of a fraud in contracting the debt or incurring the obligation upon which the action is brought or in the performance thereof, in a civil case involving a trust receipt, the entrustee's failure to comply with its obligation under the trust receipt constitutes as a civil fraud, provided that it is alleged and substantiated with specificity. In the complaint, its attachment and supporting evidence, here the fraud is committed in the performance of the obligation, includes dolo causante and dolo incidente. Removal of property with intent to defraud. In an action against a party who has removed or disposed of his property or is about to do so with intent to defraud his creditors. 6. Action against non-residents or on whom summons may be served by publication. In an action against a party who does not reside and is not found in the Philippines or whom summons may serve by publication applies to persons which is which, uh, resident dependent was identity or whereabouts are unknown or resident dependent who are temporarily out of the country. Convert actions in personam to one quasi in rem or in rem in case the defendant does not reside and is not found in the Philippines in order to effect service of summons by publication. Requisites, regardless of whether the order was granted through motion or ex parte, the following are the requisites for the issuance of an order of preliminary attachment to it. A. The applicant or some other who personally knows the facts must file an affidavit and contents of which are a sufficient cause exists that the case is one of those mentioned in Section 1, Rule 57, that there is no other sufficient security for the claim sought to be enforced by the action, that the amount due to the applicant or the value of the property, the possession of which he is entitled to recover, is as such or as much as the sum for which the order is granted above all legal counterclaims. Failure to allege in the affidavit and requisites prescribed for the issuance of a writ of preliminary attachment renders the writ of preliminary attachment issued against the property of the defendant fatally defective, and the judge issuing it is deemed to have acted in excess of his jurisdiction. Exception, where the state is the applicant, the filing of the attachment bond is excused. Existence of a mortgage since Section 3 of the Rule 57 requires that there must be a showing of the insufficiency of the security for the claim sought to be enforced by the applicant, the writ will not be issued if a real estate market exists to secure the obligation. Applicant must post a bond executed to the adverse party in the amount fixed by the court in order uh, granting that the issuance of the writ. The party applying for the order will pay all the costs which may be adjudged to the adverse party and all damages which he may sustain by reason of the attachment. Uh, if the court shall finally adjudge that the applicant was not entitled thereto. Issuance of order An order of attachment may be issued either ex parte or writ of attachment may be ordered issued ex parte provided there is compliance with Section 3 of Rule 57, that is, the affidavit and bond. However, in this case, the writ may not yet be enforced and validly implemented unless uh, preceded or simultaneously accompanied by service of summons, copy of the complaint application for attachment, order of attachment, and the attachment bond. Upon motion, with notice and hearing by the court in which the action is pending or by the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court. 
stages in the grant of preliminary assessment. Court issues the order granting the application. Writ of assessment issued pursuant to the order granting the writ, and the writ is implemented. Jurisdiction over the person of the defendant is not necessary in the first two stages. In the third stage, when the writ is being implemented, the court must have acquired jurisdiction over the person of the defendant. Hence, the rule provides that no levy on attachment pursuant to the writ of preliminary attachment shall be enforced unless it is preceded or contemporaneously accompanied by service of summons together with a copy of the complaint, the application for attachment, the applicant's affidavit and bond, and the order and writ of attachment on the defendant within the Philippines. Exception Levy on attachment would be justified even without prior or contemporaneous summons under the following circumstances. Summons could not be served personally or by substituted service despite diligent efforts, or dependent is a resident of the Philippines temporarily absent therefrom, or dependent is not resident of Philippines, or the action is in rem or quasi in rem. Duties of sheriff. The sheriff enforcing the ritual without delay and with all reasonable diligence attached to await judgment and execution in the action, only so much to the property in the Philippines the party against whom the writ is issued, not exempt from execution, as may be sufficient to satisfy the applicant's demand. Exception, the sheriff shall not enforce the writ if the adverse party makes a deposit with a court from which the writ is issued or gives a counterband executed to the applicant in amount equal to the bond fixed by the court in order or in the order of attachment or to the value of the property to be attached exclusive of cost. After enforcing the writ, the sheriff must, without delay, make a return to the court issuing the writ. Attachment of property in custodial legis. A copy of the writ of attachment shall be filed with the proper court or quasi-judicial agency and notice of the attachment served upon the custodian of such property. A previously attached property may also be subsequently attached. What will arise in this event will be priority in the liens, where the first attachment shall have priority over subsequent attachment. Sale of property after levy on assessment and before entry of judgment. General rule, the property attached cannot be sold during the pendency of an action. Exception, an attached property may be sold after levy on assessment and before entry of judgment whenever it shall be made to appear to the court in which the action is pending upon hearing with notice to both parties that the attached property is perishable or that the interest of all the parties to the action will be subserved by the sale of the attached property. Remedy of third person, not party to the action, whose property is attached. File tertiary or third-party claim. By making an affidavit of his title thereto or right to the possession thereof, stating the grounds of such right or title and serving such affidavit among the sheriff while the latter has possession of the attached property and a copy thereof upon the attaching party. The sheriff shall not be bound to keep the property under attachment unless the attaching party or its agent on demand of the sheriff shall file a ban approved by the court to indemnify the third party claimant in a sum not less than the value of the property by the pan. Summary Hearing Upon application of the third person, the court shall order a summary hearing for the purpose of determining whether the sheriff has acted rightly or wrongly in the performance of duties in the execution of the writ of attachments, more specifically, if he has indeed levied on attachment and taken hold of property not belonging to the plaintiff. If so, the court may then order the sheriff to release the property from the erroneous levy on the return or and to return the same to the third person. In resolving the motion of the third party, the court does not and cannot pass upon the question of the title of the property with any character of finality. 
it can treat the matter only insofar as may be necessary to decide if the sheriff has acted correctly or not. Motion for leave to intervene, provided no judgment has yet been rendered in the action. Separate action to nullify the levy. Such party may also file an action to nullify the levy with damages resulting from the allopole levy and seizure which should be a totally separate and distinct action from the former case. The above-mentioned remedies are cumulative and any one of them may be resorted to by one party claimant without availing of the other remedies. Discharge of attachment and the counterband 1. By filing a motion to discharge the attachment, attachment and making a deposit or counterband, notice in hearing is required. The cash deposit or counterband shall secure the payment of any judgment that the attaching party may recover the action, whereas the man for the issuance of the writ is answerable for the damages by the reason of the issuance of the writ. Once the writ of attachment has been issued, the only remedy of the petitioners in lifting the same is through a cash deposit or the filing of the counterband. Thus, the court holds the petitioner's argument that it has the option to deposit real property instead of depositing cash or filing a counterband to discharge the attachment or stay the implementation thereof is unmeritorious. Purpose The filing of the counterband will serve the purpose of preserving the dependent's property and at the same time give the plaintiff security for any judgment that may be obtained against the defendant. Second, if by filing a motion to set aside or discharge the attachment on other grounds without need for filing a counterband, the party whose property has been ordered attached may be or may file a motion with the court in which the action is pending before or after levy or even after the release of the attached property for an order to set aside or discharge the attachments on the ground that the same was improperly or irregularly issued or enforced, or that the ban is insufficient, the attachment is excessive, discharge shall be limited to the excess, the property is exempt from execution or attachment, notice and hearing is required. Effect of uh, discharge of attachment Upon the discharge of the attachment, the property attached shall be delivered to the party making the deposit or giving the counterband or the person appearing on his behalf. Dissolution of preliminary attachment upon security given or assuring it is irregular issuance does not operate to discharge the sureties on the attachment bond. That bond is executed to the adverse party condition that the applicant will pay all the costs which may be adjudged to the adverse party and all damages which he may sustain by reason of the attachment if the court shall finally adjust that applicant was not entitled thereto, hence until the determination is made as to the applicant's entitlement to the assessment, his bond must stand and cannot be withdrawn. Damages for wrongful attachment even party who loses the action but is able to establish a right to damages by reason of improper, irregular, or excessive attachment may be entitled to damages. Where there is wrongful attachment, the attachment's defendant may recover actual damages even without proof that the attachment plaintiff acted in bad faith in obtaining the attachment. However, it is alleged and established that our attachment was not merely wrongful but also malicious. The attachment defendant may recover moral damages and exemplary damages as well. Either way, the wrongfulness of the attachment does not warrant the automatic award of damages to the attachment defendant. The latter must first discharge the burden of proving the nature and extent of the loss or injury incurred by reason of the wrongful attachment. When to file? Before trial, before appeal is perfected or before the judgment become executory. Requirements Due notice to the attaching party in his surety or sureties. 
setting forth the facts showing the rights of the party to damages and the amount thereof. Damages may be awarded only after the proper hearing and shall be included in the judgment of the main case. Satisfaction of judgment out of the property accounts. If judgment be recovered by the attacking party and execution issue thereon, the sheriff may cause the judgment to be satisfied out of the property attacks if it be sufficient for that purpose in the following manner. A. By paying to the judgment obligee the proceeds of all sales of perishable or other property sold in pursuance of the order of the court, or so much as so, or so much as shall be necessary to satisfy the judgment. B. If any balance remains due by selling so much of the property, real or personal, as may be necessary to satisfy the balance, if enough for that purpose remain in the sheriff's hands or in those of the clerk of the court. And C. By collecting from all persons having in their possession credits belonging to the judgment of Ligor, or owing debts to the latter at the time of the attachment of such credit or debts, the amount of such credits and debts as determined by the court in the action, and stated in the judgment, and paying the proceeds of such collection over the judgment of Ligi. If proceeds from realization of all property attached are not enough to satisfy judgment, any balance shall be collected by the sheriff as upon ordinary execution. Preliminary Injunction Rule 58 A preliminary injunction is an order granted at any stage of an action or proceeding prior to the judgment or final order requiring a party or a court, agency, or a person to refrain from a particular act or acts. Purpose To preserve the status quo of the matter subject of the action and to protect the rights of the plaintiff during the pendency of the suit. As an equitable remedy, a preliminary injunction is an equitable remedy and one who comes to claim for equity must do so with clean hands. It is uh, to be resorted to by a litigant to prevent or preserve a right here. There is a pressing necessity to avoid injurious consequences which cannot be remedied under any standard of compensation. Not a judgment on merits. Moreover, an injunctive uh, writ is not a judgment on the merits of the case. A writ of preliminary injunction is generally based solely on initial and incomplete evidence. Thus, the issuance of a writ of preliminary injunction is interlocutory in nature. Take note, a preliminary injunction is in the nature of an ancillary remedy to preserve that status quo during the pendency of the main case. As a necessary consequence, matters resolved in injunction proceedings do not, as a general rule, conclusively determine the merits of the main case or decide controverted facts therein. Generally, findings made in injunction proceedings are subject to the outcome of the main case, which is usually tried subsequent to the outcome of the main case or subsequent to the injunction proceedings. Philippine Force Authority versus Nasipit Integrated Arrestry and Stabiduring Services Incorporated. It is discretionary. The grant or denial of the injunctive relief rests to the sound discretion of the court taking cognizance of the case since the assessment and evaluation of evidence towards that end involves findings of fact left to the conclusive determination by such court and the exercise of judicial discretion by such courts will not be interfered with except upon finding of grave abuse of discretion. Amalan Incorporated versus Wakwak Residence Association. When granted, as defined by Section 1, Rule 58, a preliminary injunction is an order granted at any stage of an action or proceeding prior to judgment or final order, requiring a party or a court agency or a person to refrain from a particular act or acts or require the performance of a particular act or acts, in which case it shall be known as a preliminary mandatory injunction. 
SM Investments Corporation versus Mac Graphics Currents International. Dua kaklasi, no? Sang uh, injunction. One is preliminary prohibitory injunction. Commands one to refrain from performing a particular act or acts. And preliminary mandatory injunction. which commands the performance of some positive act to correct a wrong mail and the past. Preliminary injunction, distinguished from the main action for injunction. Preliminary injunction is not a principal action and can only exist as an incident to a principal action. Injunction is a principal action and cause of action itself. Preliminary injunction is designed to require a party or a court agency or a person to refrain from a particular act or acts during dependency of the principal case, while injunction perpetually restrains a person from the commission or continuance of an act or confirms the previous preliminary mandatory injunction, who may grant preliminary injunction. A preliminary injunction may be granted by the court where the action or proceeding is pending. If the action or proceeding is pending in the Court of Appeals or in the Supreme Court, It may be issued by said court or any member thereof. An original action for injunction is outside the jurisdiction of the Court of Appeals. The appellate court's jurisdiction to grant a writ of preliminary injunction is limited to action or proceedings pending before it. As Section 2 of Rule 58 of the Rules clearly provides. Ano naman ang grounds for injunction? A. That the applicant is entitled to the relief demanded and the whole or part of such relief consists in restraining the commission or continuance of the act or acts complained of or in requiring the performance of an act or acts either for a limited period or perpetually. B. That the commission, continuance or non-performance of the act or acts complained of during the litigation would probably work in justice to the applicant. Or that a party court agency or a person is, uh, is doing, threatening or is attempting to do or is procuring or suffering to be done some act or acts probably in violation of the rights of the applicant respecting the subject of the action or proceeding and tending to render the judgment ineffectual. Requisites for issuance of preliminary injunction To be entitled to the injunctive writ, petitioner must show that A. There exists a clear and unmistakable right to be protected. While a clear showing of the right is necessary, its existence need not be conclusively established. To be entitled to the writ, it is sufficient that the complaint shows that he has an ostensible right to the final relief prayed for in his complaint. Indeed, WWREI was unable to convincingly demonstrate a clear and unmistakable right that must be protected by the injunctive brief. The apprehension of its members are as correctly ruled by the RTC, speculative and insufficient to substantiate the element of serious and irreparable damage, Amaland versus Wakwak residents. B. This right is directly threatened by an act sought to be enjoined. C. The invasion of the right is material and substantial. D. There is an urgent and paramount necessity for the right to prevent serious and irreparable damage. Foreclosure of mortgages is a remedy under law. The fear of loss of property does not constitute irreparable injury. I would not be deprived outrightly of the property since there is a right of redemption. Take note. For a court to decide on the propriety of issuing a TRO and or a, a writ of preliminary injunction, it must only inquire into the existence of two things. One, a clear and unmistakable right that must be protected. And two, 
an urgent and paramount necessity for the right to prevent serious damage to Mon versus Radio Wealth Finance Company. Again, or here there is no irreparable injury considering that the impact of the pre-termination release contract to Mac Graphics is basically the reduction of its revenues and as such, the same can be measured with reasonable accuracy, easily quantifiable or susceptible of simple mathematical computation. The pecuniary value of such loss will fairly recompense Mr. Graphics SM Investments Corporation versus Mac Graphics Carans International Corporation. Formal requisites for issuance of writ of preliminary injunction or TRO. There must be a verified application. The applicant must post a bond unless exempted by the court. This bond, which shall be an amount to be fixed by the court to the effect that the applicant will pay to such party or person all damages which he may sustain by reason of the injunction or temporary restraining order if the court should finally decide that the applicant was not entitled thereto. And Upon approval of the requisite, uh, requisite bond, a rate of preliminary injunction shall be issued. As to rate of preliminary injunction, the court must conduct a hearing. As to TRO, it may only be acted upon only after all the parties are heard in a summary hearing. TRO can be issued ex parte, pursuant to Section 5, Rule 58. Temporary Restraining Order an order issued to preserve the status quo until the hearing of the application for a writ of preliminary injunction because the injunction cannot be issued ex parte. Ban. The applicant shall file a ban unless exempted by the court. Unless it appears that the enjoined party will not suffer any damage, the judge must require the applicant to post a ban. 20-day TRO if it shall appear from faction by affidavits or by verified application, the great or irreparable injury will result to the applicant before the matter can be heard on notice. The court which the application for preliminary injunction was made may issue a temporary restraining order to be effective only for a period of 20 days from service on the party or person sought to be enjoined. Within the 20-day period, the court must order said party or person to show cause why injunction should not be granted. Also, within the same period, the court shall determine whether or not the preliminary injunction shall be granted and then issue the corresponding order. If before the expiration of the 20-day period, the application for preliminary injunction is denied, the temporary restraining order would be deemed automatically vacated. If no action is taken by the judge on the application for preliminary injunction within the said 20 days, the temporary restraining order would automatically expire on the 20th day of the sheer force of law, no judicial declaration to that effect being necessary. An application for a preliminary injunction may be denied even without the conduct of a hearing separate from that of the summary hearing of an application for the issuance of a temporary restraining order. Now, a trial court may also issue ex parte a TRO for 20 days. If it shall appear from the facts shown by the affidavits or by the verified application that grade or great or irreparable injury would result to the applicant before the matter can be heard on notice. The trial court has 20 days from its issuance to resolve the application for preliminary injunction. If no action is taken on the application for preliminary injunction during this period, the temporary restraining order is deemed to have expired. In this case, the OCA correctly observed that respondents judge Mendoza's failure to serve the summons on PI2 after the issuance of the sales 72-hour TRO. 
cannot be cured by his claim that it was received by the sheriff. The person enjoined from implementing the rate of possession the previous summons received by the sheriff was also no longer valid considering that the complaint was amended and omitted by virtue of responded Judge Mendoza's orders. As bolstered by Administrative Circular Number 20-95 is explicit that the adverse party should be immediately served with a summons in a copy of the complaint. Philippine Investment 2, Incorporated versus Mendoza. 72-hour TRO. Kaya na, 20 hours na. Subong 72-hour TRO. If the matter is of extreme urgency and the applicant will suffer grave injustice and irreparable injury, the executive judge of a multiple sala court of the presiding judge of a single sala court may issue ex parte a temporary restraining order effective for only 72 hours from issuance. Within the present 72 hours, the judge before whom the, the case is pending shall conduct a summary hearing to determine whether the temporary restraining order shall be extended until the application for preliminary injunction can be here. In no case shall the total period of effectivity of the temporary restraining order exceed 20 days, including the original 72 hours provided therein. Rule 58 mandates a full and comprehensive hearing for the determination of the property of the issuance or the propriety of the issuance of a writ of preliminary injunction separate from the summary hearing for the extension of the 72-hour PRO. Otherwise stated, a trial court may issue a temporary restraining order even without prior hearing for a limited period of 72 hours if the matter is of extreme urgency and the applicant will suffer grave injustice and irreparable injury. In this instance, a summary hearing separate from the application of the preliminary injunction is required only to determine if a 72-hour TRO should be extended. The supposed uh, extreme urgency of the issuance of the 72-hour TRO was uh, belied by respondent. Judge Mendoza setting of a summary hearing for the extension of the same five days after the issuance thereof. Section 5 Rule 58 clearly states that such summary hearing must be conducted within the 72-hour period. Instead, Respondent Judge Mendoza set the hearing on September 25, 2017, two days beyond the effectivity of the 72-hour TRO. To make matters worse, Respondent Judge Mendoza extended the 72-hour TRO, which had already expired, into a full 20-day TRO. An already expired TRO can no longer be extended. That the TRO was issued on September 20, 2017. Under the rules, it clearly provides that in no case shall the total period of effectivity of the TRO exceed 20 days, including the original 72 hours provided. The effectivity of 72-hour TRO issued by uh, respondent uh, Judge Mendoza on September 20, 2017, therefore could only be extended until October 10, 2017 or 20 days after its issuance. Thus, Respondent Judge erroneously extended the effectivity of the 72-hour TRO until October 12, 2017, two days beyond the period of effectivity of a TRO explicitly provided by the rules. Now, we would like to reiterate the duration of temporary restraining order. Kung nagalinin sa MTC or RTC ang nagpagwa, the duration is either 20 days Reconing from the service and 72 hour reconing from the issuance. On the 20 day issuance, the ground is great or irreparable injury. Kung 72 hours, extreme urgency and the applicant will suffer grave injustice and irreparable injury. Ang 20 day is non-extendable 
while ang 72 hours uh, maximum of 20 days including that 72 hour period. Kung i-apply na sa Court of Appeals, the duration is 60 days from the uh, day of service and it is not uh, non-extendable. Grounds for objection to or for motion of dissolution of injunction or restraining order. The application for injunction or restraining order may be denied upon a showing of its insufficiency. Only the professional remedy should be denied, but court should proceed with determination of principal action. The injunction or restraining order may also be denied or, if granted, may be dissolved on other grounds upon affidavits of the party or persons enjoined, which may be opposed by the applicant also by affidavits. It may further be denied or, if granted, may be dissolved if it appears after hearing that although the applicant is entitled to the injunction or restraining order, the issuance or continuance thereof, as the case may be, would cause irreparable damage to the party or person enjoined, while the applicant can be fully compensated for such damages as he may suffer and the former files a bond in an amount fixed by the court condition that he will pay all damages which the applicant may suffer by the denial or the dissolution of the injunction or restraining order. Prohibition on injunctions under RA 8975. The law is clear that what is prohibited is merely the issuance of a provisional orders in joining the implementation of a national government project. RA 8975 does not bar lower courts from assuming jurisdiction over complaints that seek the nullification or implementation of a national government infrastructure project as ultimate relief. Effect of Piling Counterband The mere piling of a counterband does not necessarily warrant the dissolution of the writ of preliminary injunction. The court is called upon to exercise its discretion in determining or weighing the relative damages that may be suffered by the parties. If the damages that may be suffered by the defendant by the continuance of the injunction outweigh the damage that may be suffered by the plaintiff by the dissolution of the injunction, then the injunction should be dissolved. Permanent Injunction A permanent injunction based on Section 9 Rule 58 forms part of the judgment on the merits and it can only be properly ordered only on final judgment. Remedy The remedy is an appeal from the decision in the main case. Temporary resting order or TRO and uh, writ of preliminary, investig- uh, preliminary injunction under Rule 2 of Administrative Memorandum No. 99-10-05 Thus, to clarify and summarize the requirements in establishing a clear and unmistakable right to have a TRO or uh, writ of preliminary injunction under Rule 2 of Uh, said the administrative memorandum as amended be issued, the applicant must 1. Alleged in the application for TRO or writ of preliminary injunction that the interest rate on the loan is unconscionable. 2. Support this allegation with prima facie evidence. 3. Prove that upon filing the application, he or she has paid to the mortgagee at least the legal rate of interest on the principal obligation as stated in the application for foreclosure sale, which shall be updated monthly while the case is pending. Tumon versus Rejewel Finance Company Receivership Rule 59 Receiver A person appointed by the court on behalf of all the parties to the action for the purpose of preserving and conserving the property in litigation and preventing its possible destruction or dissipation if it were left in the possession of any of the parties. The appointment of receiver is not a matter of absolute right. 
It depends upon the sound discretion of the court and is based on facts and circumstances of this particular case. A receiver is not an agent of any party to the action. He is an officer of the court, exercising his functions in the interest of neither plaintiff nor defendant but for the common benefit of all the parties in interest. Purpose The purpose of a receivership as a provisional remedy is to protect and preserve the rights of the parties during the pendency of the main action, during the pendency of an appeal, or as an aid in the execution of a judgment when the rate of execution has been returned unsatisfied. Being a provisional remedy, the receivership in Rule 59 presupposes that there is a principal action and that the property or fund subject of such action requires its preservation. Cases when receivership will be appointed Upon a verified application, one or more receivers of the property subject of the action or proceeding may be appointed by the court while the action is pending or by the Court of Appeals or by the Supreme Court or a member thereof in the following cases. A. When it appears from the verified application and such other proof as the court may require that the party applying for the appointment of a receiver has an interest in the property or fund, which is the subject of the action or proceeding, and that such property or fund is in danger of being lost, removed, or materially injured unless a receiver be appointed to administer and preserve it. B. When it appears in an action by the mortgagee for the procurator of a mortgage that the property is in danger of being wasted or dissipated or materially injured and that its value is probably insufficient to discharge the mortgage's debt or that the, or the parties have so stipulated in the contract of mortgage. C. After judgment, to preserve the property during dependency of an appeal or to dispose of it according to the judgment or to aid execution when the execution has been returned unsatisfied or the judgment of LIGO refuses to apply its property in satisfaction of the judgment or otherwise to carry the judgment into effect. D. Whenever in other cases it appears that the appointment of a receiver is the most convenient and feasible means of preserving, administering, or disposing of the property in litigation. A receiver of real or personal property, which is the subject of the action, may be appointed by the court when it appears from the pleadings or such other proof as the judge may require that the party applying for such appointment has an actual interest in it and that such property is in danger of being lost, removed, or materially injured or whenever it appears to be the most convenient and feasible means of preserving or administering the property or in litigation. Application Pending Appeal during the pendency of an appeal, the appellate court may allow an application for the appointment of a receiver to be filed in and decided by the court of origin and the receiver appointed to be a subject to the control of said court. Appointment of a party The general rule is that neither party to a litigation should be appointed as receiver without the consent of the other because a receiver should be a person independent of the parties and should be impartial and disinterested. The receiver is not the representative of any of the parties, but of all of them to the end that their interests may be equally protected with the least possible inconvenience and expense. Requisites 1. Verified application filed by the party requesting for the appointment of the receiver. 2. The ground stated in Section 1, Rule 59. A receiver of real or personal property, which is the subject of the action, may be appointed by the court when it appears from the pleadings of such other proof or such other proof as the judge may require that the party applying for such appointment has an actual interest in it and that such property is in danger of being lost, removed, or materially injured or 
whenever it appears to be the most convenient and feasible means of preserving or administering the property in litigation. Third, application must be with notice and must be set for hearing. Fourth, applicants ban. Before appointing a receiver, the court shall require the applicant to post a ban executed to the party against whom the application is presented in an amount to be fixed by the court. Fifth, receiver's ban. Before entering upon his duties, the receiver must be sworn to perform his duties faithfully and shall file a ban executed of such person in its sum as the court may direct. Now, denial of application or discharge of receiver. The application may be denied or the receiver discharged when the adverse party files a ban executed to the applicant in an amount to be fixed by the court to the effect that such party will pay the applicant all damages he may suffer by reason of the acts, omissions, or other matters specified in the application as ground for such appointment. The receiver may also be discharged if it is shown that his appointment was obtained without sufficient cause. General Powers of a Receiver Subject to the control of the court in which the action or proceeding is pending, a receiver shall have the power to bring and defend in such capacity actions in his own name, take and keep possession of the property and controversy, receive rents, collect debts due to himself as a receiver or to the pan property, estate, person, or corporation of which he is the receiver, compound for and compromise the same, make transfers, pay outstanding debts, divide the money and other property that shall remain among the persons legally entitled to receive the same, generally to do such acts respecting the property as the court may authorize and invest funds in his hands only by order of the court upon the written consent of all the parties. Liability for refusal or neglect to deliver property to receiver a person who refuses or neglects a punishable demand to deliver to the receiver all the property may be punished for contempt and shall be liable to the receiver for the money or the value of the property and other things refused or neglected to be surrendered together with all damages that may have been sustained by the party or parties entitled thereto as a consequence of such refusal or neglect. Suits against receiver. No action may be uh, filed by or against a receiver without leave of the court which appointed him. Termination of receivership. Whenever the court, moto proprio, or on motion of either party shall determine that the necessity for a receiver no longer exists, it shall, after due notice to all interested parties and hearing, settle the accounts of the receiver, direct the delivery of the funds and other property in his possession to the person adjudged to be entitled to receive them and order the discharge of the receiver from further duty as such. Replevin Rule 60 Replevin, broadly understood, is both a form of principal remedy and of a professional relief. It may refer either to the action itself, that is, to regain the possession of personal chattels being wrongfully detained from the plaintiff by another, or to the provisional remedy that would allow the plaintiff to retain the thing during the pendency of the action and hold it pendentility. The action is primarily possessory in nature and generally determines nothing more than the right of possession. An applicant need not be the holder of legal title to the property in question. It is in the nature of a possessory action. It is sufficient that at the time he applied for a writ of reflevin, he is found to be entitled to a possession thereof. 
In a complaint for replevin, the claimant must convincingly show that he is either the owner or clearly entitled to the possession of the object sought to be recovered and that the defendant, who is in actual or legal possession thereof, wrongfully detains the same. It must be borne in mind that replevin is a possessory action the gist of which focuses on the right of possession that, in turn, is dependent on a legal basis that not infrequently looks to the ownership of the object sought to be replevin when may be applied for. A party framing for the recovery of possession of personal property may, at the commencement of the action or at any time before answer, apply for an order for the delivery of such property to him. Procedure for application for replevin. The applicant must show by his own affidavit or that of some other person who personally knows the facts. A. That the applicant is the owner of the property claim, particularly describing it, or is entitled to the possession thereof. B. That the property is wrongfully detained by the adverse party, alleging the cause of, uh, of detention thereof according to the best of his knowledge, information, and belief. And C. That the property has not been distrained or taken for a tax assessment or a fine pursuant to law or seized under a writ of execution or preliminary attachment or otherwise placed under custodial legis or if so seized that it is exempt from such procedure or custody. And for picture proceeding conducted by the Bureau of Customs, regional trial courts are devoid of any competence to pass upon the validity or regularity of a seizure and perpetual proceedings conducted by the Bureau of Customs and to enjoin or otherwise interfere with these proceedings. It is the collector of customs sitting in seizure and perpetual proceedings who has exclusive jurisdiction to hear and determine all questions touching on the seizure and perpetual of dotable goods. The regional trial courts are precluded from assuming cognizance over such matters even though petitions of certiorari provision or mandamus. The actual market value of the property. Replevin ban. The applicant must also give a ban executed to the adverse party and double the value of the property as stated in the affidavit for the return of the property to the adverse party if such return be adjudged and for the payment to the adverse party of such sum as he may be recovered from the applicant in the action. A replevin ban is simply intended to indemnify the defendant against any loss that he may suffer by being compelled to surrender the possession of the disputed property pending the trial of the action. He cannot recover on the ban as for a reconversion when he has failed to have the judgment entered for the return of the property, nor is the surety liable for payment of the judgment for damages rendered against the plaintiff on a counterclaim or punitive damages for fraudulent or wrongful acts committed by the plaintiffs and unconnected with the defendant's deprivation of possession by the plaintiff. Recovering damages on an applicant's ban To recover damages on a repayment ban, or on a ban for preliminary attachment, injunction, or receivership, it is necessary that the defendant claimant has secured a favorable judgment in the main action, meaning that the plaintiff has no cause of action and was not therefore entitled to the provisional remedy of replevin, that the application for damages showing claimant's rights thereto and the amount thereof be filed in the same action before trial or before appeal is perfected or before the judgment becomes executory that due notice be given to the other party in his surety or shortest notice to the principal not being sufficient and that there should be a proper hearing and award for damages should be included in the final judgment. Sheriff's duty in the implementation of the writ. Upon receiving the order, the sheriff must 
serve a copy thereof on the adverse party together with a copy of the application, affidavit, and bond, and forthwith take the property if it be in the possession of the adverse party or his agent and retain it in his custody. If the property or any part thereof be concealed in a building or enclosure, the sheriff must demand its delivery, and if it not be delivered, he must cause the building or enclosure to be broken, open, and take the property into his or his possession. After the sheriff has taken possession of the property, he must keep it in secure place and shall be responsible for its delivery to the party entitled thereto upon receiving his peace and necessary expenses for taking and keeping the same. The property shall be delivered to the applicant. If within five days after the taking of the property by the sheriff, the adverse party does not object to the sufficiency of the bond or of the surety or shortage thereon, if the adverse party so objects and the court affirms its approval of the applicant's bond or approves a new bond or if the adverse party requires the return of the property but this bond or the re-delivery bond is objected to and found insufficient and he does not forthwith file an approved bond. If for any reason the property is not delivered to the applicant, the sheriff must return it to the adverse party. Return of property if the adverse party objects to the sufficiency of the applicant's bond or of the surety or shortage thereon, he cannot immediately require the return of the property, but if it does not so object, he may at any time before the delivery of the property to the applicant require the return thereof by filing with the court where the action is pending a bond executed to the applicant, in double the value of the property as stated in the applicant's affidavit, or the delivery thereof to the applicant if such delivery be adjudged and for the payment of such sum to him as may be recovered against the adverse party and by serving a copy of such bond on the applicant. A defendant in a replevant suit may demand return of possession of the property replevant by filing a re-delivery bond within the periods specified in Section 5.6 of Rule 60. Under Section 5, petitioner may, at any time before the delivery of the property to the plaintiff, require the return of the property. And Section 6, he may do so. Within five days after the taking of the property by the officer, both these periods are mandatory and character thus a lower court which approves a counterband filed beyond the statutory periods acts in excess of its jurisdiction. In the instant case, the cargo trucks were taken into custody by the sheriff on January 7, 1985. Petitioner Young's counter replevin ban was filed on January 25, We agree with the conclusion of respondent judge that petitioner's right to file a counterband are already prescribed. Anaman kon ang property claimed by third party. If the property taken is claimed by any person other than the party against whom the writ of replevin had been issued or his agent, the sheriff shall not be bound to keep the property under replevin or deliver it to the applicant if the third party makes an affidavit to his title or right to the possession, stating the grounds therefore and Serve such affidavit upon the sheriff while he has possession of the property and a copy thereof upon the applicant, unless the applicant or his agent on demand of said sheriff shall file a bond approved by the court to indemnify the third party claimant in a sum not less than the value of the property under replevin. No claim for damages for the taking of or keeping of the property may be enforced against the bond unless the action therefore is filed within 120 days from the date of the filing of the bond. Remedies Nothing herein contained shall prevent such claimant or any third person from vindicating his claim to the property or prevent the applicant from claiming damages against a third-party claimant who filed a frivolous or plainly spurious claim in the same or separate action. Judgment 
After trial of the issues, the court shall determine what's the right of possession to and the value of the property and shall render judgment in the alternative for the delivery thereof to the party entitled to the same or for its value in case delivery cannot be made and also for as damages as either party may prove with costs. To begin with, where judgment is rendered for the articles of their value and they cannot be returned in substantially the same condition, it is settled that the prevailing party may refuse to take them and instead sue on the delivery ban or, as in this case, execute on the judgment for value. Now, let us distinguish from uh, preliminary attachment, replevin versus preliminary attachment. As to purpose, the replevin purpose is to recover personal property capable of manual delivery from the defendant, while preliminary attachment, the purpose is to have the property put in the custody of the court to secure the satisfaction of the judgment that may be rendered in favor of the plaintiff. How about if the property is under custodial lease? In replevin, it cannot be availed of when property is in custodial lease, while in preliminary attachment, it can be availed of. When the property is custodial is, it will constitute a lien. As to the subject property in Repleben, it extends only to personal property capable of manual delivery while preliminary attachment extends to all kind of property, real or personal.